Welcome to the Perfect First Layer Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast where we answer questions from you, the 3D printing community. I'm Guy from Guy's Shop, and with me always are my co-host, JJ Nathan. Hello. Hi. Hey. So we do depend on your questions for this podcast, and if you have one for our panel, please go to perfectfirstlayer.com, go to the submit page, and send it on along. We also have a Patreon. Right now, we only have one level, and we're simply asking for a small donation to help keep this podcast going. So please go to worldwideweb.patreon.com slash perfectfirstlayer. So what have you got going on in the lab right now? Nathan. Well, um, I've been working on a couple random projects. I've got uh, some machines to review, as always. And I've been trying to get into some more developmental type stuff. So I've been adding fiber reinforcements to um, parts as they're printing. So like you print a layer and then you lay down some fiber composite material, whether that's fiberglass, carbon fiber, or some kind of metal mesh inside of there. And I'm really curious to see how that can affect the material properties. And it's something that's kind of approachable and you can do it at home. So it's kind of adding these new capabilities to basically unknown with a 3d printer. And I think they should be pretty entertaining and educational videos. Um, other than that, how, just, how much, uh, how, well, you just published one today yeah. with the ax handle. So how long did that take you to print? It and took, how many layers was it? Yeah. It took basically the same time that a normal print would take. It's just, I paused it and added six layers of um, okay. fiber reinforcement to it. The initial results weren't super impressive in terms of strength. I was expecting it to be like way stronger, but really the uh, the material that I used is coated in kind of a soft plastic. It's coated in PVC, so it's not. It, it wasn't like adding raw fiberglass to the parts, which would have made it a lot stronger. Um, so next, I'm going to try some metal meshes. But in terms of time, the only additional time is the amount of time that it takes you to lay those. Um, parts in between two layers of your print. So maybe two to three minutes per layer in additional time that I was adding uh, mesh to it. So maybe 10 or 15 minutes extra. So it took How, a two, two hour print to a two hour and 30 minute print about. I don't want to get way off into the weeds, but uh, conventional fiberglass, you know, you've just got that material and then they put an epoxy resin coating over the top of it. So yeah. what what is adding the, the rigidity and strength of that? The epoxy, the the fiberglass cloth, or the combination of both? Yeah, so it's a little bit of both. So basically, if you have the, uh, the host material, that has a certain tensile strength. And then if you add like 50% of the reinforcing material in there, then the strength is going to be an average of those two. Okay. So it's kind of like um, you can analyze it as just the, uh, they call it the matrix material, which is the material that everything's suspended in. Um, it's always going to be stronger than that because you're adding additional strength, like a stronger um, material to it. And yeah. Uh, yeah, like when you do the actual analysis, you can look at it as what's what's going to happen if we just have the matrix and then you can do the same analysis as of what's going to happen if it's just the fibers 
and then you kind of add the two together and that's your total strength. What, what if you, I think we talked about this at the beginning of the show. What if you did like a print, like your ax handle and instead of embedding the, the mesh in there, but took the fiberglass or the, the, the carbon fiber and put that on the outside of it yeah. and then wetted it down with epoxy resin. Right, and that would and be that more. Would give it the, that would give it the stiffness and the tensile strength. Correct. Yeah, that's uh, that's really similar to what they do in a conventional fiber yeah. molding process. So you'll sure. have a mold, then you'll cover it, and then you'll pop that molded part out. Or there's uh, applications where you have a core and you wrap the fibers around that core, and when it cures, uh, you basically have a throwaway part that's trapped inside of there. And mm-hmm. even if that throwaway part is made out of foam, which often they'll, they'll make a, a foam core and then uh, do the molding around that. Uh, even though that foam core has almost no structural integrity, just the shell of that fibrous material is going to be super strong and stiff and lightweight. Yeah. So does it make a difference if you, if that lattice structure you put in the middle of your 3d print was held super taut? or was more loosely laid on top of your print while it's printing? Yeah, so that gets into um, kind of a complex uh, situation. So if you look at like concrete rebar reinforced structures, they'll pull the fibers in tension, then cure Mm -hmm. the concrete and then release it. And then that'll act like a spring kind of compressing everything together. And the reason they do that is because concrete is stronger in compression than it is in tension. Um, yeah. If you've ever, I, I don't know how how easy this is to like conceptually understand, but basically if your matrix material is stronger in compression, then having that pretension is going to be a good thing because it's going it. to yeah. um, kind of shift the stress curve into compression. It's almost like, you know, how you, if you have an arch, um, that's going to be stronger because everything's in compression. Um, it's kind of turning a flat plane into an arch, essentially, uh, in a very roundabout way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, not... yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, we're definitely getting into the weeds now. So, right, yeah. the weeds belong at the end of the episode. We got to. Yeah, yeah. What about you, JJ? What you got going on? Yeah, uh, I'm just getting over a little sickness this last week, so. Oh. I've been taking it easy, not publishing too much, uh, which is great with YouTube. I can kind of take it easy and not work too hard when I need to. Um, yeah. But now just getting back into it, printing a bunch and uh, no new machines. I don't think I got a new uh, laser camera showed up, so that'll be good to go with. the. It's a Mignon. They made the Beagle camera and then now oh, they have okay. a laser controlling camera that I saw at Murph and then I was like, Hey, yeah, if you want to send me one, I'd love to check it out. Um, yeah. So I, like, I was looking at cameras for the, for my laser engraver and it's, it's just like a $30 camera you got to put on top of it. It's a, yeah, this is like a really cool, it feels like Octoprint and a camera controlling for a it laser. for a laser where it's yeah. like, you get a whole app to be able to like control and remote control and remote yeah. monitor and all these things that I feel like should be on lasers. I just did our laser review this week and 
it's like these lasers need to have all the things that are on 3D printers. Like, well, the the the, the camera definitely solves the problem because yeah. I was trying to do something and I had to go over and my computer's over here and the laser printer's over here, you know, like six, seven feet away. And I got to hit a button. I got to run over and I got to start moving stuff to, you know, put the, the, the material where it's framing and everything. It was kind of yeah. a pain in the butt. Yeah. And I said, you know, I, I started looking at cameras actually just last night uh-huh. and they're like dirt cheap. You can get little yeah. board cameras for 20, 30 bucks. That'll, that'll work with it. Yeah. And I and like the idea. It just depends on how high you have to put it over the top of it. I like the mm-hmm. idea of having a camera watching the laser so you don't have to damage your eyes looking at yeah. it. Yeah. My yes. laser's been in a, it's a solid box with a little cheap webcam inside just to look at it. So I can have my laptop outside with wires running in to control the laser and control the camera. Makes it way easier. Yeah. I actually got one of those, those you know, cheap hoods mm-hmm. that go over the top of it. So I got sick of just putting a board in front of it so I don't accidentally look at it. Yeah, yeah. But anything else going on other than um, getting over an, uh, an undescribed <laughs> illness? No, nothing nothing too crazy around here. Pretty normal. Normal week. Normal printing. Normal printing. Yeah. Have you printed anything Neat and cool in the last couple days. Uh, nothing too crazy. No. Uh, fixing a chair. That uh, I got this three D printed chair that I'm printing a new, few new parts. That'll be today's video. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. All right. You guys ready for some questions? Yeah, let's, let's get it. into it. All right. This first comes from this first one comes from John Strand, and he said he was the guy in the jester's hat at Murph. Yeah, I remember yep. him. Okay. John Strand. He's he's a uh... A plague of the live streams, he said. <laughs> <laughs> well, John says, good morning, afternoon, evening. Well, it's afternoon right now. JJ, Nathan, and of course, Guy. I hope that you're all doing well and Nathan hasn't burned down a studio yet. Not yet. There's still plenty of time in the day. <laughs> Love the podcast and all the content each of you are making. Different perspectives. It's really interesting to see and hear from each of you three. Thank you. So he says his question is pretty simple. With all the hype about core XY machines lately, 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 and people wanting to print faster, why are there not more Delta printers on the market? Nathan, you can hold your tongue and let JJ or Guy respond and then let your venom spew forth. Ha ha ha. Also, can you explain? Please explain the reason Core XZ even exists. Thanks for all you three do, and I do look forward to hearing the answer on the podcast, John. So, JJ, why don't you tackle the question of the uh, Delta printers first before yeah, Jay, so I, for Nathan spews forth? I've never actually tried out a Delta printer. I tried to get one a few, it was probably a year ago, but I was a small channel back then. So they said, nope. Now you're a big shot. You can get one now. Yeah, now I could get one, and I need to because they're they seem really cool. Um, but now Core XY is the new the new hotness that's taken over the mainstream, being so much better in quotes than uh, Cartesian printers. Do you um, well, is the is a Delta printer considered a Cartesian printer? No, a Delta no. printer is a it's a different motion Delta system print, yeah. Yeah. than 
Cartesian is X, Y, Z. Delta is... Z, Z, Z. Yeah. <laughs> Z, R, angle. <laughs> um, would be... Well, you, know, you, look at, you look at like that, that FL Sun 400, that thing is like eight feet tall. It's huge. Yeah. A big it's issue of Delta is the huge. height to things. Yeah. 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 I wouldn't have anywhere to put anything like that. Yeah. They're just ma- can be massive printers and you're, you don't get a large build volume out of how big the printers are, which is a big issue for, for most people. And for marketing, yeah. if you want the K1 Max for how big of a build volume for how big the printer is, really maximizes build volume for how big the printer is. Yeah. Versus yeah. a Delta printer to get something that can print something that large, you would need something eight feet tall or, you know, crazy. Yeah. Any, any other advantages or disadvantages that you're aware of? Speed is a big advantage to it. But I, I feel like the biggest downside for most people is the so, build volume and sorry. the, the motion system is just best at circular things. As far as I know, I think it's they're really good at circular things, but printing straight wall square things, Core XY, I think will be a little bit better for it. I th- All right, we're not going to hold you to that. Not hold me to it, but I'm. No, no. yeah, I'm sure our listeners <laughs> will. But no, yes, Nathan or I will. Please hold me to it, listeners. <laughs> All right, Nathan, you going to rant? Yes, I have the venom. <laughs> it's ready. <laughs> All right, um, there's no antidote. So. Uh, Basically, well, I did a 3D printer tier list where I was like ranking all the different 3D printers. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I got to the FL Sun Delta printers, I was just like, why? Why is why is this Delta? And I just put them on the bottom of the list um, kind of as a joke. I haven't had any experience with them and they seem like nice machines. But um, with Delta printers, you have to use spherical bearings, which are different than most other motion systems. And uh, so basically a spherical bearing is just like a ball and socket, like your arm, your, your shoulder joint. Mm-hmm. It can rotate in two different uh, degrees of freedom versus a normal bearing, like a normal ball bearing is just one degree of rotation where it rotates about an axis. Uh, these spherical bearings, um, they have to have some slop. So they add like springs to cinch everything together. And it's just a bunch of, added mechanical complexity that I feel like has more downsides than benefits. It also makes the printers more expensive um, and it's a wear component and you've got 12 of them on a typical Delta configuration. So um, that's the main reason why I would stay away from them just because the alternatives are so much simpler and um, probably better. And in addition what JJ was talking about with the size and being so tall, that's also an issue with shipping because a lot of the times you're uh, there's restrictions on the maximum length of a product that you can ship. And if it's beyond a certain height, then uh, they charge you extra. So just shipping yeah. the machines is going to be more expensive. S- 70 inches. Yeah. So mm. that's like insanely tall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they do seem like the best way to get, small but tall printers like i feel like the last time i was looking at delta printers they were like not that big in radius but like fairly tall compared to a typical cartesian printer i think those fl suns 
are those things are like 300. They're not 300 by 300, they're 300. Yeah, 300 Round. diameter. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, a, diameter. a 300 by 300 build tray is going to offer you more space because you've got those yeah. corners. And also, like, when you're trying to fit things on a desk, I don't care if it's round or if it's square. I just, you know, usually you just care about the width and the the depth. So, mm-hmm. I mean, realistically, it doesn't have much space advantage over a Core XY printer either. Yeah. All right. So... Can somebody give me an explanation of what Core XZ is? Yeah, so the yeah. best example is called the switch wire. It's basically like a Core XY stage, but it's flipped upright. So um, that's like a conversion kit where you can take an Ender 3 and basically turn the X and Z axes into a Core XY stage, but they call it Core XZ because you know it's it's not handling your Y axis. And the reason that it exists, as far as I can tell, is because it's the easiest way to make a bed slinger overcomplicated. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I see the value in that because we all like to fiddle fart around with this stuff. Yeah. So it might be a fun project. The thing yeah. is, is that you don't need fast motions in the Z direction. Yeah. It has the least effect on your overall print speed. So having a really slow Z axis, I don't really care. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like a good uh, mathematical experimental project to do that. Um, but your fast Z motion, your Z hops will be a little bit faster, but that mm-hmm. one millimeter jump is no big deal. Yeah. Um, it's irrelevant. Yeah. Also, um, you're, you're going to move all of the weight on your ZX stage down to the bottom of the machine which will help lower the center of mass of the whole Mm. machine, um, which might help improve the speed and stiffness and uh, vibration performance of the machine. But those benefits are so easily offset by just adding some of those, uh, those Z axis braces, you know, on some Mm. machines they'll have like these little extra pieces that attach the top of the, um, the X gantry to the, the base of the machine and just gussets like triangle bars yeah so those those will make the the whole printer stiff enough to where you know moving the center of gravity around is having a much lesser effect than just adding a couple of those onto your printer so getting back to his the 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 core of his question is is there a reason why it even exists other than you think just the the hobbyist factor is there it's a any advantage to it all? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's kind of a vanity project, I think. I mean, there are some high-end machines that use that motion system. There's one from R3D, and it looks like a nice machine, but um, they probably could have made it cheaper if they just went with a typical Ender 3 style setup. It seems like a cool... Like It's like I was thinking about it, and it's my uh, Voron V0. I put a belted Z-axis on that. And it's not any better than if I put a lead screw on there, but it's cool. And I, I enjoyed that I did it and I'm glad that I have it on there, but it's probably worse than if I put a lead screw on there, <laughs> I think. Cause after you turn the motor off, it'll just drop. And so there's all these issues that come with right. core XZ. That's another issue of core XZ. If the power goes out and the motor is turned off to those motors, 
your X gantry will just fall all the way down. So yeah, you have to put counterbalances to try to balance it out. And if you lose power, it won't fall all the way down. Um, the R3D machine, I think it's called the Dataless or something. I'm not entirely sure what the brand is, but uh, the name of it is. But um, they have a special little board in there that takes mm. over and it like creates some resistance to it falling. So if it if it does shut down, then it won't destroy itself. Okay, but yeah. still, you know, you're you're having to spend money solving problems that you wouldn't have with another type of printer design. Yeah. All right. Well, I was uh, I learned something. I've I've heard of Corexy. I never really knew what it was. And Nathan saying it's just like a Corexy but flipped on its side. It's like, oh, now that makes sense. Um, the other thing is, is like the reason why Corexy makes so much sense is because you want your fast motion to be occurring in the direction that you're moving the most often. And um, you're having to fight against gravity when you do, you know, your, your Z motions. I don't know. It's, it's just a lot of extra complication. Um, The last thing I'll say is that you might be able to make a taller 3d printer because if you're just using lead screws, you have to get like a really long lead screw versus with belts, you can get a really tall belt. But there's always going to be like more issues coming up that just complicate yeah. things. Yeah. All right. This next question comes from David. And he says, I purchased a crazy Skywalker some time ago, but I've not had the opportunity to use it until now. I have read that Creasy no longer <laughs> exists. Can I replace the proprietary operating system with Marlin? Can you please point me towards a resource for some assistance? Thanks so much, David. So I was actually looking at this not uh, right before the, we started the podcast, do a little, little bit of research on it. And basically, for those that don't know what it is, because I sure as heck, have you guys ever heard of it before? No. No. No? Okay. It's, it's, a, it's a big I3 bed slinger. It's 300 by 300 by 400. Um, it has dual Z. It actually uses Bowden too. It's not direct drive. It's a big I3 Benslinger printer is what it is. Um, I don't know. Marlin maybe, but I'm not sure about Clipper. I think might be a way to go. Clipper you can put on just about anything. Yeah, I think it it looks like a CR10 to me. Basically like one of the old CR10s. And it but, probably has some version of Marlin on it already. Yeah. I was trying to find the that list of documents, that list of uh standard configurations that Clipper has put together to see if Clipper is, is possible on it. Yeah, I mean, your worst case scenario for if you really wanted to change some things and you couldn't figure out how to do it, uh, you could just put a new main board in there. I mean, this might be more work than you're wanting to get into. Mm-hmm. But if you, if you put a new main board in there, then you'd have all known components. And it would be quite a project. I'd expect for a beginner, it would take 10 to 20 hours just figuring everything out and putting it together. But, I mean, it looks like a decently put together machine and the good thing about it is it's very generic like in its design which means that 
uh, a lot of upgrade parts will be compatible with it. So if you want to change yeah. things out to improve it and modify it, then it could definitely be a good printer for that. What, what I noticed about it, and the first thing I was looking at, so I said, I was going to change this out, and you mentioned changing the board out. It doesn't look like there's any ribbon cables or anything on it. It's using just all wires mm -hmm. and such. So changing the board out actually should be pretty easy, I would think. It's just, you know, stepper motor, you know, Z goes here, X goes here, and just plugging one thing out and putting it in the other one, and I think mm -hmm. you'd be okay. These cheaper generic boards usually have pretty standard plugs to things mm -hmm. or it might be a pretty standard board that you could find a more updated Marlin configuration for it, or maybe even a clipper configuration that would fit onto that board. Um, so without knowing what board is on a generic printer, it's hard to tell what could work on there, but yeah. Googling whatever board you find when you flip over your printer, open it up, Google that board and you'll probably find firmwares that'll work on it yeah a lot of them use just a generic board that's like shared with a bunch of other 3d printers so sometimes people will um <clears throat> compile firmware for that you won't have to do it yourself yeah um but you know it, it doesn't sound like it would be that difficult to do either way now if you had replaced a board or just put a, a newer version of marlin on there if you guys have both have like compiled Marlin before. No, yeah. And I regret I, it every time I, I skipped Marlin. <laughs> I said, I will never, I don't want to compile this. <laughs> I did. I did it one time and the same thing. I will never do it again. Yeah. It literally it's took me 10 hours to get my first wow. Marlin compile to work. And I watched a lot of Chris's basement videos on yeah. repeat. Yeah. Well, that, that, that's good. I like I like his videos. He's a good dude. Um, but yeah, it's just way too complicated. It's overly complicated. It doesn't need to be that bad. <laughs> I don't think anyways. Yeah, it's so, kind of par for the course for an electrical engineer, but for a normal person, it's like, why? <laughs> why why yeah. are you doing yeah. this to me? I, th I think uh, Chris is actually a, a sysadmin. He's a Linux sysadmin. Oh yeah. So yeah. that's all secondhand to him. Mm -hmm. So it's like, oh, you do this, blah, 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 do this, blah, blah. Like, oh, what would you just do? I gotta slow it down a little bit. Yeah. So, all right. Well, let's go on to the next question. This comes from Kyle. It says, Hey guys, absolutely love the show and watching your channels on YouTube. My question is, I have a modded Ender 3 Pro, and I've been struggling with these vertical lines on my prints along the y-axis. I've come to find this is a common issue among 3D printers, and it's referred to as vertical fine artifacts. That would be correct. I have seen, uh, uh, I, I haven't seen or found any fix for this, and I've tried multiple things, like belt tension, adjusting the wheels, replacing stepper motor and pulleys. I'm hoping you guys can shed some light on this and know of a possible fix or even maybe some tips that can reduce the appearance of them. Thanks guys, Kyles. JJ, you're shaking your head. Going, so I, I did yep, some research yep, yep, yep. into these uh, VFAs, vertical fine artifacts, uh, when the K1 printers arrived, because I find those printers seem to have some issues with VFAs. Um, and it's just a 
when you print a straight wall, you'll find these vertical lines appearing in it. And it's not ringing issues. It's purely a, I, what research I found, I think it's because of the internal stepper motors, the typical 1.8 degree stepper motors, um, even with micro stepping and all the advanced features they have, you're still going to get an issue where when it says to step one step, it moves and it creates a line a little bit with the inconsistency of it moving along that straight line. It's not fully moving across a straight line. It's stepping across that. As Why far is as it more pronounced in some printers than others if they're all doing it? Yeah. So the issue is, and I think on the K1 printers is because the motor is tied to a larger gear. So each internal step is kind of amplified. And so you see them really hard on there versus like the Prusa Mark IV. I read an article on their website. Uh, they tried to put point, the 0.9 degree stepper motors and did some things with the gear ratios of the motor to motion system to try to decrease those steps. Um, so when it comes to reducing them, there's a lot of issue, there's a lot of ways you can go of trying to use 0.9 stepper motors or trying to use some sort of gear ratio to change to step it down um, or just use matte filament is I found the best way to hide those tiny vertical issues silk filament on the K1s I find doesn't look as good versus you put matte filament on them and those VFAs just disappear right away. Yeah. Um, so belt tensioning, adjusting wheels and replacing all this stuff. Is it, well, he says he's replacing stepper motor if you're not going to replace them with a 0.9. Maybe replacing motor. them with some 0.9 and then, um, and then you might need to change. That might need some firmware tweaks after that. Um, well, I know there's like, I, I've seen these things, you know, they call them VFA towers or whatever. And it's like, great. Okay. I've got vertical fine yeah. artifacts, but uh, how the hell do I get rid of them? Nathan? Well, what do you think? Yeah, there's multiple causes for them. I used to think it was just the stepper motors and Prusa seems to think so as well, but it can also be caused by the bearings in my, um, mm unprofessional opinion i mean this is just a hunch that i have because i've had printers where um <clears throat> you'll get vfas when moving in the y direction and if you uh, it's it's confusing it's a little weird it'll happen regardless of speed it'll cut through like um basically there's there's more than one cause for it and i guess what it could be caused by is if your axis is speeding up and slowing down slightly, well, it, this could be caused by the stepper motors as well. I mean, that's kind of like the primary cause, but it can also be caused by bearings and belts and all that kind of stuff. Basically, it's a problem with the machine vibrating in ways that aren't, uh, you know, it's not a perfectly ideal machine that moves exactly how you tell it to. It's going to like speed up and slow down a little bit. Just like if you're walking, you know, you you when you're taking steps, you're like, not moving at constant velocity, you're slightly speeding up and slowing down. Um, so that's the first thing you would look at is the stepper motors. 
Well, I would just yeah. ignore it. It's it's a rabbit's <laughs> hole that will end up wasting a ton of time and you're not going to be able to fix it. That's my general consensus. What, didn't you find that on the trunk sea where the right. bearings were slipping around and as each bearing was uh, stepping to the next little ball inside there? Yeah, that was my theory. Is yeah, the yeah, just like a theory of it, but could totally um, be real. Yeah. Yeah, so with on, on the Tronxy Crux, I felt like when I took everything apart and detached the stepper motors and I slid the bearing carriage back and forth, I could feel it like getting caught and catching up a little bit and then moving forward, surging forward a little bit. And so like if you're trying to move that perfectly smoothly and consistently, you're going to have steps where it's speeding up and slowing down. And if the extruder is extruding at a constant uh, flow rate as you speed up and slow down, that's going to cause little piles of filament every time it slows down a little bit. And, uh, to JJ's point, he, he said, um, the, uh, the matte filament made, makes the VFAs go away. I think what's happening there is it's less apparent because like, if you have a mirrored surface, that's got ripples on it, you can see it. It's like super easy to see. If you, if you have a glass mirror, it has to be perfectly flat. Otherwise, you're going to see weird warpy stuff. But if you paint that white, then small variations. If you paint, paint it with like a matte white paint, then those small variations are going to be a lot harder to see because they're most apparent based on like reflections. Yeah, it's just like any, mm-hmm. any, uh, any print you do, period, some prints are going to look better in some colors than other colors. It's the... the, the mm-hmm the defects aren't as obvious. Yeah. 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 Um, I actually want to get into a more of a complicated, uh, video soon where I talk about like the, the vibrations that occur in 3d printing. And one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is that friction actually plays a huge role in reducing vibrations. So if you have like a, like, v-groove wheels they have a little bit of friction in them that actually helps dampen out vibrations and will reduce the appearance of vfas um but yeah vibrations in general is a very complex topic that is not very well understood i mean the automotive and aerospace industries have a really good understanding of it and they hire phds that know this stuff like the back of their hand but uh, i have a phd in vfa yeah vibrations in general it's like a, a field of mechanical engineering. Um, and really one of those issues where when we start training the printers more with these linear rod or linear rails and things, then those slight steps and slight issues become bigger vibrations that totally show up in the prints. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, I'm a man. They, I'm a I, fan I of the humble V groove wheel. <laughs> like it, it, it solves some problems. <laughs> yeah. I just remember my, my first printer was a Ender 3 V2. And boy, for the first half a dozen prints, it was just wonderful. <laughs> yep. Until those V-groove wheels start yep. getting grooves in them. Yep. They're getting groovy. So, getting groovy. So this next question comes from Chris. And he's actually, first he's giving us a little kickback to something we talked about in the last episode. And uh, then he's got a question for us. Excuse me. So he says, I listened to Brendan's question about correct hole size. And remember when I had the same problem about last year 
when I started designing things for myself. This, this goes to um, using correct size holes for self-tapping or putting inserts in for screws. He said, I found a very useful little chart from littlemachineshop.com. That is the first result if you Google little machine shop tap chart. The link at the top of the page has a PDF that has almost all the needed bore and drill sizes for whatever type of hole is needed based on faster size and standard and metric. So what he's talking about is if, if everybody's familiar with, you know, you, you, you drill and tap a hole for, let's say, a screw, you drill the hole a certain size for a certain size tap to fit in it and cut a certain size thread. So this is a chart that tells you if you want a quarter inch, uh, you're going to put a quarter inch 20 bolt in something that you use, a, you know, something 30 second size drill bit, like a, a seven thirty seconds drill bit, and then you use this size tap and it'll put the crux. It's, it's giving allowance for that. So that's actually, I think, pretty helpful. Um, he also says making holes in Fusion 360 also includes the option of choosing the type of fastener and then choosing between a tapped or clearance hole and a lot of other useful options, depth, counterbore, countersunk, etc. I'm not a Fusion 360 user. Either of you guys? No. Um, I've used Fusion 360. Are you familiar with this tool? Um, referring to? Uh, let me let me check. Um, probably, I guess yeah. You could you could use that. Like you choose the the tapped hole, and then it'll automatically put a, a hole size in there. It might work. Oh, okay. Hmm. I haven't okay. I haven't tried it. Okay. Well, I know I have actually just instead of you know, using a, a self-tapping screw. I've drilled out the holes and I have a set of small metric taps that I've, I've, I've talked about that before. I've actually tapped the hole for a M3 screw or an mm-hmm. M4 screw. Um, anyways, so that's, that's good information to know, Chris. Thank you. And he says, uh, he also has a question. He says, I'm thinking about selling some of my models as kits and STLs. What would be the best platform for that for me? Etsy, Cults, Squarespace? Well, I think Squarespace is a just a, a web hosting company, correct? Yeah, it's going to be like yeah. self-hosting your own website. Okay. Yeah, I have a Squarespace and... Uh... It works pretty well, and it does have a storefront where you can sell things, including digital assets. So yeah, mm. um, but you have to be really good with your search engine optimization and all that other stuff for people to find you. I think mm-hmm. with go being on Etsy or Cults, I think it would be easier for people to find you. Yeah, um, yeah. So they're they're all they've all got different pros and cons. So like the ones that are like things Etsy, Cults, printables. Those all are pretty easy to find. Uh, Those are like, all free. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks now has some. a membership. You could hide it. You could put it behind the membership. Oh, they have a membership? It's oh. a new thing. Oh, really? Yeah. 
they mm. offered yeah they sent me something and they're like please host some of your stuff on there and i'm like uh i don't want to that sounds like <laughs> I, I make videos <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, well one one way if you've got enough of them chris and i just i just for some reason i just pulled this out of the air but um i know a lot of guys that do these sdls especially for like miniatures and stuff they just create patreon accounts yeah i was gonna bring that up and then they then they get a couple they give away some models to big name youtubers you know Big names, not like Guy Shop or Nathan Bell's Robots, but like J.J. Shankles. <laughs> and J.J. will advertise it for you and uh, drive a lot of business to them. I know there's a, a couple that are very successful doing that, correct? Yes, yeah, yeah. But that's been the whole uh, things. And now Printables, I think, is just now starting a thing, uh, trying to compete with Patreon to make it easier for people to make money selling assets because Patreon, the whole like linking, you usually just like Patreon isn't a great ass, isn't a great platform for linking STL files. Yeah, versus, I yeah. I distribute some of my STLs on Patreon, and the biggest issue that you have is that it's kind of arranged like an email thread. So like each post has the files attached to it. So if someone wants one of your older files, they have to scroll down and find the post. But mm. I imagine on print on like these other services, they would probably just have a yeah. big old uh, gallery with all of your prints and all of your STLs that would be much easier to browse. Yeah, I like I like Colt or Colt. I got mm-hmm. football on the brain. Three weeks. <laughs> so um, the the Colts website it's it's okay. The only problem is it's just deadly slow. Yeah. Every time I go on there, man, it's like I click on something. I got, I sit there and wait and wait and wait. It, it tried, seems I like could... hours. It's only like 10 seconds. But in today's, you know, society, that's a long time. I think it's trying to load too much. Every time I open up Colts, it tries to play like 50 different GIFs of prints, <laughs> all trying to be like motion. Vi- Instead of being pictures, they're yeah. all motion little click videos and trying yeah. to play all of those at the same time, it's like, yeah, of course it's going to be slow web page. Yeah. You're trying to play all these videos at the same time. It really gets overloaded. Yeah. Plus, um, you get those you get those resin heads wanting to download 400 megabyte files. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm not sure about Etsy. I've never sold anything on Etsy. Etsy seems very crowded to me. Mm-hmm. But for selling physical models, I could see. I bought physical. Th- art off of Etsy and stuff. Um, Not so much in the 3D printing realm side of things. Yeah, something I've noticed is a lot of YouTubers will be like, uh, they used to talk about their Etsy store and nobody talks about their Etsy store anymore. I'm pretty sure they've all dipped out because it's too crowded. Uh, The... One of the things that I, I do know from being in the, the woodwork, I'm going to talk about woodworking. I got to do it once a show. Always, yeah. Whether you like it or not, here it right, comes. Right after we got to talk about glue. No, no, not, <laughs> not, I'm never going to bring up. You're the one that brought it up, not yeah. me, Nathan. So um, I know a lot of guys in the, the YouTube woodworking space, and they're not necessarily selling real products. Mm. They're selling their plans. Yeah. And one of the guys that I'm not going to say his name, his name is that I know it is the, the most successful one I've ever saw doing this, selling plans, 
did it on Pinterest. Hmm. He put, you know, a, a physical picture of what he had on Pinterest and then he sold the stuff on his website. So on his own self-hosted, on his own website that, you know, whoever was hosting, I don't know, but it was on his own website and he just drove all the people from Pinterest to his website and got all the digital downloads from there. Mm, and yeah. it worked like insanely well for him. This guy, this is one of these guys that has like two or 3 million followers on YouTube now. Yeah. But he started doing that when he had, you know, like 10, 20,000 followers on YouTube. Um, and he's just, Pinterest was his secret weapon mm -hmm. that nobody else wanted to mess with. <laughs> yeah. So Huge market I, there. You know, yeah. If you can yeah. hit it right. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. But that's really big for the DIY crafting market. I don't know about SDLs. Well, I think... Uh, marketing on Pinterest is a great idea because then you, you hit the female demographic and you get the honey, can you build this for me? And then they have to buy the plan. Yeah. But I, I don't know. It, I think it really depends, Chris, on what type of STLs are selling. I said, mm -hmm. Pinterest is more of a crafty type thing. Yeah. So if you're, if you're looking at selling like miniatures or practical prints, I don't know how well that would do on Etsy. I, I don't know what else to say about that. I know we're, we're well, Nathan's got a little note here. No, we're not talking about glue again, Nathan. All right. <laughs> no, I had no, a great not, question from one of my flicking. comments, but we'll, uh, we'll Did you? save that for the next episode. Did you? Shoot it. What is it? Well, no, you've got, saying, my, you've got I've a, got a glue question. While now we're you've got my about, interest peaked. While yeah. we're talking glue, uh, guy, did you see my laser cutting video? I made some little coasters in it. What type of glue would you use to glue two thin pieces of wood together? Wood glue. Okay, cool. <laughs> I made four of them in the video and two of them were wood glue and two of them were super glue. And Super glue is going to fail. Okay, yeah. I also tried it, doesn't, it doesn't really soak into the fibers and bond the two surfaces. Yeah. For a finish, for a coaster, what would you use for something like that? Because I tried super glue on some of them. I used polyurethane on some of them. I would use polyurethane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, very much getting into the woodworking realm, but yeah. I tried a bunch no, of okay. different things. So That's okay. <laughs> yeah. Nathan? You said you had a glue question. Glue question. Oh, yeah. So um, someone was saying that uh, I was trying to melt my PETG parts together, and he was saying that uh, acrylic glue works better. I don't or know what acrylic glue is. Acrylate, maybe. I don't know. Maybe super glue. Cyanoacrylate? Maybe. That's said CA glue? That's that, super yeah. glue. Super glue, yeah. I, I, I didn't read the comment all the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the... the Chemical name for CA glue. Um, I'm I'm not a huge fan of CA glue, but it's not bad. I use it for like repairs and stuff, but to like put a whole project together, no. Yeah, yeah. I imagine um, like in a hatchet handle, you got a lot of impact loading, uh, like shock loading, and I I wonder if the super glue would kind of crack and I don't know because it's kind of brittle in my experience. I don't know. If I was going to glue two things together out of Petchy, 
I would probably use epoxy, not the not the five minute epoxy, real epoxy, or um, polyurethane glue, like Gorilla mm. Glue. All right. So I was looking at that. Um, the question we had a couple of questions back about uh, the Circreasy Skywalker. Um, apparently, it's running um, a Clipper. No, sorry. Apparently, it's running a MKS Robin Nano V2, which is like a very generic mainboard, and you should be able to to get Clipper on there if you want to. Um, it's yeah. still going to be a bit of a project, but uh, there's there should be a little bit of help online if you get that's someone to walk the same mainboard that's on the Artillery Sidewinder. Ah, so you can't just put a card in there and flash it. You've got to use the SCM32 programmer to do it, which is not that difficult even though Nathan finds it difficult. I had to put a jumper or something onto the board and then flash it. Yeah, you don't have to do that. You can, but you don't need to. Anyways, so uh, yeah, if that's the case, it'll take Marlin, it'll take Clipper. It shouldn't be a problem. All right. I was also going to talk about a, a new slicer I found today called Galaxy. It's a... Or what's what? Hold on, so let me find it here. I think that's what it's called. Ugh. Uh, it looks like a fork of Bamboo Studio. It's a but fork it, of Orca, which is a fork of Bamboo, which is a fork of Prusa. <laughs> but so this it's one a triple looks, fork. This one it looks, looks just like, like Prusa Slicer. This one looks like the the visuals of Prusa Slicer inside of Bamboo Studio. So actually, it's more like it's more like Orca. Because it has some of the, it's based on Orca. They okay. said right in their GitHub page, it's based on Orca, and it's, um, uh, which we all know is based on. <laughs> Prusa Slicer, which is based on Slick Three R, which yeah, is it's all based on something, something, something. It's the artist funny. formerly known as Prusa Slicer. Yes. Yes. So what's your pitch? Tell me why why should we? I, I don't know what the, the only the only thing the only reason I downloaded and looked at it is because it has pre built uh, pre built in profiles for the Creality K one and K one Max. Okay. Uh, all right, yeah. I'm downloading it then. Good deal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it looks like it's just the latest version of Orca Slicer. They've skinned it the color purple, which I like, and. Um, And they've got some profiles in there for the for the K1 and K1 Max. So how long until Bamboo Lab steals all of the commits from Galaxy Slicer and folds them into Bamboo Studio without proper accreditation? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, you know what? I don't care. Yeah. I hope they I hope they do it soon. I just like having I just like the idea of having one slicer. Right now I use three. Actually I'm using Same. four. I'm using Prusa Slicer, I'm using Bamboo, I'm using Orca, and I'm now I'm using Creality Print. Oh wow, yeah. I'm I on Bamboo, keep, Creality, and Cura. It's my I only just three. keep pushing everything back onto Prusa Slicer as much as I can. Sometimes yeah. it has issues and I have to figure out what's going on. But I, I, just, I just don't want to build slicer. a profile for I just don't want to build a profile for everything. I don't have the time or the energy. Or the knowledge. I'd rather have. I, I like the pre-built ones because it just saves me from having to go through all of it. 
I just don't like it. I tried it once and I failed miserably. And I'm like, I'm not going to fart around with this thing for the next three weeks. That would be uh, nice think- if uh, they came up with a standardized printer profile that could be exported and imported into whatever 3D printer you want. Yeah. But I think they're not compatible with each other. So like, it'd be ideal if you could just take a Prusa Slicer profile and load it up into Galaxy Slicer or take a Bamboo Studio profile and put it back in the Prusa Slicer. Yeah, I but- see. I tried exporting the config file out of this Galaxy into a config file and then importing it into Arca. Nope. So mm. it's nope. Not compatible. It's like, son of a bitch. <laughs> it should Isn't be a the... text file. It should be the most basic thing. Yeah, I know. But you would think if one with. thing is based on another thing is based on another thing is based on another thing, all the config files should be, should be the same. compatible. So they're putting something in that that JSON configuration file. Yeah. It's just some bastard thing. Um, pardon my French. Uh, it's some bastard line of code in there somewhere that just makes it incompatible. Incompatible. Mm-hmm. It's like why? Because the slightest change would make it incompatible. Like right, exactly. Ninety percent of the, the settings are the same. It's like yeah. layer width, line height, print yeah. speed, mm-hmm. acceleration. Like, but they're yeah. they're putting something in the code that you would have to go line by line and compare them and find where it is. I'm not going to do that. I feel like every time I talk to you guys, I makes me re-download Prusa Slicer. And open it up and then realize I hate this. I like, I still like Prusa Slicer. The only yeah. reason I use the Orca Slicer is because it works the best for my artillery sidewinder. Oh, yeah. It I feel like it's too best. cluttered and there's all these tabs to get to different settings. It's but just. I, but I like right, Prusa Slicer for my Voron <laughs> and my Creality printers. JJ must have a supercomputer if he's running Cura all the time, because every time I open Cura, I end up stuck in a menu I, for like 20 minutes. I hate Cura. It's one drop down. It's so simple. Yeah, but then you click slice, and then it's like, okay, well, I'm going to go get lunch. Give it a minute. And heaven forbid you should want to save the file to your hard disk. What do you want to save? That, take, that takes like 10 minutes. What are you saving here? Sometimes SDL? You to, sometimes you have to say no. You sometimes you're saving the G code file to your to so you can put it on a card and take. Oh it yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, something like ten about... minutes. Walk away and go grab a beer down at the corner with the boys. I think about a quarter, big... like twenty five to fifty percent of the time, when I'm printing something, I can just make it in Prusa Slicer. Like it's almost a CAD program at this point. Yes. Yeah. And then I can export it as an STL and open it up in another slicer. Like it's got some really neat features in there. Mm-hmm. I think I think out of all the slicers I use, I like Bamboo Slicer the best because I, I don't I don't have to do anything. I just it just the works. Printer. Yeah, oh, it just yeah. works. I select the printer. I select the filament. I I select the, the 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 filament profile, whether it's you know fast yeah, bamboo- or strong or standard and that's it and i don't i don't even mess with it yeah bamboo studio did a great job of coming up with optimized print profiles and shipping it with their machine instead of being like here's two profiles that kind of suck have fun if you want to make it better have enjoy spending several hours and half a kilogram of pla testing things out and if you want to try out petg or polycarbonate uh have fun doing that all over again yeah i mean it's like there's no reason to to force the customers to do that. Yeah. 
All right. We're going to talk about slicers again, I'm sure. But uh, I think that's going to do it for this show. And uh, remember, we really need questions and participation from you, the listener. And thanks for all the questions. Uh, it was really wonderful. Send them along to our email address. Perfectfirstlayer at gmail.com. Says JJ. And, or you can go to perfectfirstlayer.com, go to the submit page and ask us there. Nathan, why don't you tell everybody where you can be found? I'm on YouTube. Just look up Nathan Builds Robots. JJ? Same thing. You just YouTube it at JJ Shankles. All right. And you can find me on YouTube at Guy's Shop and everything else as Guy's Woodshop. So thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you guys uh, in a couple weeks. Bye. See you.